everyone. Welcome back to the Kicks and Picks podcast. We're continuing our summer pod series, State of the Club, and we're going back to the Premier League today. Uh, not a club you normally think of these days as one of the, the big clubs in England, but when uh, the way last season shook out, I reached out to Boz of Through Black and White Eyes, and I said, you know, we're doing this pod series on all the big clubs in England, and him being a Newcastle supporter, he goes, big club, I'm in. And, uh, you know, traditionally, back in the, the 90s, Newcastle was one of those clubs, right, Boz? And now they're kind of mm-hmm. back. And give us your perspective on how last season went. Back in the top four for the first time uh, in 20 years in the Champions League, Carabao Cup runners-up, uh, a little bit early FA Cup exit, but overall, what did you make of the season? Oh, it was an absolutely unbelievable season. No one expected us to finish in the top four. Uh, if you asked 90% of our fan base, we all said we'll take anything top 10 and a good cup run. We ended up with an amazing cup run, getting to a, a final. Uh, we ended up finishing top four ahead of Chelsea, ahead of Liverpool, ahead of Spurs. You know, we deserve to be there on merit, uh, regardless of how badly those other teams performed through the 38 games. I thought Newcastle were absolutely superb for 38 games. And that's why we finished in that fourth spot. Uh, the FA Cup, it's a little bit of a staying on the season uh, but if you look at the team he put out against Sheffield Wednesday it was very much the second string he was hoping they would still do the business they didn't you'll learn that lesson going into next season if he wants to prioritise the FA Cup uh, but other than that I mean other than getting beat in the final which was a gutter because we haven't won a trophy since 1956 uh, you know it would have been nice to actually win that uh, yeah no sorry 1969 first Cup my apologies. That's how long it's been. And I wasn't even born then. <laughs> and a lot yeah, of it's success. certainly been some time. Uh, go ahead, Scotty. As I say, a lot of the success, too, came off the back of a very consistent and, and very strong defense, which I think surprised a lot of people. Uh, I think I was looking through the, the, the results uh, earlier today, and I think I counted four times in the 38 league matches where uh, Newcastle allowed two or more goals, and that was twice to Liverpool, um, I think it's Manchester City and maybe even Leeds. I think that Leeds was the one surprise that's going through that. And that's a pretty good recipe for success, especially in England. If you can keep your opponent to one or fewer, like you're always going to have a chance to get three three points out of that, that fixture. Yeah, absolutely. And if you actually look at our back five, how much it cost, it cost a single Harry Maguire. Yeah. Uh, a lot <laughs> of people forget, you know, people think Newcastle have got all these rich owners. We're going to go out and buy everyone. We bought Trippier, uh, Botman, Pope, Target, you know, Dan Byrne, you know, and it didn't even total over 80 million for, for all of them, which is superb spending. And we got a Champions League quality right back. Botman is going to be one of the best defenders you'll ever see in the Premier League once he's had a few more seasons under his belt. Uh, the business we did and sure up that back line, which Eddie Howe was not known for, if you go back to his Bournemouth days, you know, that's where he faltered and why they got relegated again is because he didn't have a plan B. It was all attack, attack, attack. But this time around when he's came to us, he's showed up that back line. Yes, it faltered us a little bit going forward at times, but it's getting that balance right. And like you said, if you can, you know, keep clean sheets or only concede one goal in, say, 30 games, you only need two to win, which is a lot easier than scoring three or four or five to win games. Yeah, certainly impressive. Joint best defense with Man City, 33 allowed on the season. That's nothing to scoff at. Uh, at less than a Crazy. goal a match. Yeah, it's a very strong defensive record. And 
you know, you were saying none of the supporters really were expecting top four. And, and when you're a club who hasn't made Champions League in 20 years, it's with good reason. On the pod, we kind of adopted Newcastle as our, our team of the pod. We started this pod about a year and a half ago, right around the time they were fighting relegation. And it was almost like half jokingly, we were like, we're, they're, we're, they're the team we're picking to survive. And then, uh, Scotty, what was it last summer? We we put them as the, yeah. aside from the big four, I guess. To no, finish, it, like, was, the best. it was the league finish without Manchester City or Liverpool, like which team finishes top of the table. And Newcastle sitting there at like plus 3,500 or something. So 35 to one odds. And so we took that as like our, our one future pick. And we were one Arsenal like resurgent season away from, from really yeah. having that. Although I guess, you know, United kind of caught them in the end too, but um, for a while there it was it was city it was arsenal and newcastle and i felt pretty good about it going into the last you know two months but it's all right we, we live to tell another tale <laughs> it's not a bad little uh, bet to be fair yeah. but i mean if you actually look at the history of how leicester won the league you know they were relegation fodder the season before mm. uh their form was unbelievable for that second half of the season to keep them up they then got ranieri in and he just carried on that form and that's how they won the league. So it, it, the writing was there for us to do a similar sort of stats. You know, our, our second half of the season and how when he came in, fabulous. And all he did was carry on that that run of form. And if you put that second half of the season into a full season, you get us in the top four. So it, it was there on paper to happen. It's just football doesn't normally work that way. You know, teams get stronger in the summers. Uh, we got a little bit stronger and I thought, yeah, top 10 will be the aim and then push on, like we say, cup runs. But, the, you know, it was there for everyone to see that it could happen. Yeah, for sure. So thinking about individuals as part of that top four finish, who were some of the standout or breakthrough players, in your opinion? And were there any, even in such a great season, that disappointed or underachieved from expectations that they may have had at the beginning of the season? Yeah, so we're sort of underperforming. I mean, Maxi obviously splits the Newcastle fans' opinions all the time. I could be off to Saudi Arabia, but he only played 13 games. Uh, he was looking good, got injured, came back, was looking good, got injured again. Uh, and for a player that the fans love and we want to see the best Maxi for 38 games, you know, that was a disappointment for me. Uh other than that, everyone else shone, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, the, the standout player is Bruno in the middle. Uh, everyone knows him. He's got a magic hat. Uh, he was superb. He drives the team forward. His personal ambitions, the way he loves the fans, the way he wants to win, his determination was superb. Uh, and the unsung hero for me, and I've been banging his name around a lot, is Sean Longstaff. Uh, we saw when he was injured for a short period of time, we stopped winning football matches. You know, he does all the dirty work. So the likes of Bruno and Joe Linton can do the nice stuff going forward. Uh, so, and then obviously you've got Botman and Shaw. Pope was amazing in goal. And then Isaac breaking through, uh, took to the Premier League like a duck to water. Uh, again, we could have seen a bedding in period with him, but he was just fantastic from start to finish. And Wilson having his best season, even though he missed a quarter of it, he could have scored 25 goals easily and we could have been third or second had we had him for a full season. But it's always that thing with him. He's always injured as well. Yeah, for sure. And um, a guy that jumped out at me too for big portions of the season was Almiron. Uh, being here in the States, seeing him come through MLS and, and the way he really yeah. performed this year was was eye-opening. 
I'm, I'm a massive Miggy fan, and I don't know why I didn't mention him, to be fair. He did have a purple patch, and then he went off it a little bit. But double-figure goals, considering his first three, four years with us, was terrible. And that's down to the tactics and Steve Bruce and playing them incorrectly. Uh, I watched a lot of Miggy before he joined Newcastle in the MLS and for his country, and he's a great number 10. He scores goals. And he scored a very good goal last night as well. I don't know if you saw it. We played Rangers in the friendly testimonial game scored after 14 minutes and took the goal really well and hopefully does this through preseason and takes it into the season again yeah and you, you kind of talked about you know maxi being a little bit of a disappointment and you know he mm. to be fair he was but it's one he's one of those players that you know as a as a neutral when you kind of tune into a newcastle game you see him out there he's always impressive when he's on the ball and he's always making runs and he always feels threatening and yeah i, I kind of just went up and looked and just just look at his output and it's it's shocking he had he had yeah. the same amount of league goals as dan Byrne and uh fabian char you know <laughs> that that's absolutely astounding to me with, with one by the way um i can't believe that that was you know the limit to his his actual output given all the talent that he does have it just does seem like it's you know i'm sure the injuries put him off a bit too but it, it's it's shocking you know you you would look at these numbers and you you wouldn't recognize them with the player that you actually see on the pitch yeah, I've said this a lot of times. I've put all of Maxi's games and stats and figures together as a whole. And I didn't say who the player was. I said, right, Newcastle are looking at this player. What do you think? And everyone's like, nah, wouldn't buy him, wouldn't touch him. Yeah. Look at his injury record. Look at how many assists and goals he's got. I said, well, this is Maxi. This is our yeah. player that everyone defends. But you can't defend stats sometimes. Yeah. Uh, there is that other thing about Maxi, though, when he's on the pitch, when he's not on the ball, he still attracts defenders, so he opens up space elsewhere on the pitch. So sometimes you can be dangerous without the ball, as long as you're intelligent. Uh, Maxi carries the ball further than anyone in the Premier League, successfully. The problem you've got, like you mentioned, is that end product. You know, he doesn't get enough assists. He doesn't get enough goals for me, so... I love him because I love watching players like that. I don't know if you watched Newcastle a while back when Hatton Ben Arthur was there. Oh, yeah. Fantastic player on the ball. I mean, he scored goals from his own half, running past players left, right, and centre. But Maxi just doesn't seem to have that end product. And if he did have that, you've got an £80 million player. But the way he is right now, we're lucky to get 40 for him. Yeah, the way you describe uh, Maxi reminds me, I'm a, a Roma supporter, and when I Zaniolo was there the past few years, before they, after the injuries, before they sold him, that he opened up space for others, makes these great runs, gets into the box, and couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things that so many supporters will defend, 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 and then you pull up the yeah. stats, and it's like you can't defend this for more than you know a certain period of time where it becomes untenable in the team where you need somebody in the attack to score some goals. Yeah. Exactly. And when you're playing free up front, as we do as a right winger forward, a left forward, you know, the right was chipping in. You had Murphy and uh, Miggy, as we mentioned, scored about 15 goals between them. Then you look at the left side, that's where we struggled. And when Maxi was playing, there was no goals or assists from that, that area. So, I mean, he's acted really well when he came in. That, that goal against Everton that Murphy scored, but when he took on everyone down in the left corner, it was amazing. That's what we want to see Maxi do. But he just... I don't know, he falters, he flatters to deceive sometimes. Yeah, just one of those guys. So moving on to the bench, you mentioned how and, and what he's done with the, the squad. How are you feeling about his performance? And uh, I guess what are you looking forward to this season with him? 
Yeah, so I mean, well, Eddie Howe has got godlike status now. He needs a statue outside St James's Park for anyone to come in last season and keep us up the way he did, and then to finish fourth is just unbelievable. Uh, what I'm looking forward to seeing him do is how he handles Anthony Gordon. Uh, mm. There was a lot of few things that went wrong last season with Gordon, the little touchline spat at the away game. Uh, but he even said himself, Anthony Gordon said, I, I wasn't fit enough. I wasn't at the level all the Newcastle players were at. So I'm interested in seeing how Eddie Howe uses him. He's just come back from the under-21s, winning the tournament with England, being the best player in the tournament. And he looked hungry last night as well. So it's going to be interesting how he fits him into the team uh, or he comes off the bench, however it happens. But how he handles them is going to be very interesting. Yeah, Anthony Gordon, still very, I mean, not still very young, obviously very young. I, I remember when when Richarlison moved to Tottenham last summer, I kind of picked him as like the next big guy to kind of steal a lot of, of headlines and get a lot of attention for Everton. And so it is kind of weird that it just really did not work out there and, and obviously moved him on for, a, a listen, a totally fair fee for Everton, given what they're dealing with. So totally understood. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how Eddie manages that because it's, it is, there is a lot of talent in there and he's still very young. And um, if, if he can get the attitude right and, and he can get fit into the, the squad in the right way, I think there's definitely a lot of potential there for, for him to kind of become that, you know, I don't want to say next big thing, but he can certainly be a guy that, that can be relied on to get a lot of goals and, and generate a lot of assists, um, assuming everything comes together. Yeah, if you think about it, he's the second fastest player in the Premier League yeah. speed-wise. When he was at Everton, he was his boyhood club, so it, it, a lot more added pressure on his shoulders because of that as well. Everyone was looking to him for goals. I mean, that team was poor, wasn't it, the Everton team? I don't know how they didn't get relegated. Still is. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I mean, they're going to struggle again this season, aren't they? But uh, and also uh, I didn't mention, but Miley, the young the young lad, is only 16, 17, turning seventeen. He's got a massive future at Newcastle, uh, and I'm interested to see whether he goes out on loan or whether Howe keeps him in the squad as well, and how he develops him into a player because uh, he probably one of the best prospects we've had out of our academy in the last 15, 20 years. Definitely want to keep an eye on that, and I like how you mentioned the management man management piece with Howe and Gordon and. The great managers aren't just tacticians, right? They know how to manage their their mm -hmm. men. And you see that with the Mourinho's of the world and and guys like mm -hmm. that, Guardiola. And um, to take Newcastle to that next level, you're going to have to man manage some players that might be a little harder to manage for, for some guys like the Gordons of the world and get past those spats and things like that. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on this season with them. So the... Newcastle's been stealing some headlines this summer. I, I know there's a lot of incoming transfers in the Premier League. I know Declan Rice is the big one recently with Arsenal now has kind of taken the, the limelight off of Newcastle's move. But Tonali from Milan was huge. Uh, I believe it ended up being 80 million euros. You know, that that's a big move. You can talk about him, how he's looked so far in those those first couple friendlies. And um, what are any biggest areas of need in the squad? Maybe some other targets that uh, Newcastle's looking at right now. Yeah, definitely. So Tonali looks superb, by the way. I watched him for Italy and the 21s a few times. Uh, he's only played 45 minutes of preseason so far, and that was last night. And even then, he just looked so comfortable on the ball. Uh, his surroundings, he can pick a pass very quickly. Talby scored the opening goal. He got the ball in midfield and saw a pass between the lines. Got it to Anderson, who played it to Miggy, then he slotted it home. And it was a beautifully worked goal. Uh, he's got the energy, he's got the pace as well to, to make it in the Premier League. So 
I'm very, very excited to see what he can do alongside Bruno and Joel Linton because that is going to be some pairing. Uh, so far in the transfer window, uh, a lot of fans would be upset because we haven't gone out in the Champions League secured. Everyone expected, let's go and buy five, six, seven players, you know, and really strengthen this, the squad. Uh, the key areas we need to sign are definitely left-back because we don't have a left-back that gets up and down the pitch quick enough and has enough threat in the final third. Yes, Dan Byrne and Target can defend, but they don't have that little extra bit of ability further forward, which all the big teams have. You know, you look at Man United with Luke Shaw, he can score goals. Man City, you've got whoever sent Arsenal, Senchenko, who can score goals as well at left back and create things and cross the ball. We just don't have that. Uh, we need a right centre back because Shaw always gets his head injuries. I don't know how much you've watched of Newcastle, but every time we're on TV, he's on the floor holding his head. Uh, so we can, we need someone who can come in and cover as well. Uh, and a right winger to push Miggy as well, uh, as well as a left winger. If ASM goes, which is the rumours, he's off to Saudi Arabia. If we get the right offer, Harvey Barnes is the man who's apparently tipped uh, to come in and take his place. I would prefer Cava at Napoli. I can't pronounce his full name, so don't Archelia. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> we just call him KK most of the time. <laughs> yeah, KK, there we go. KK to me is Kevin Keegan, so yeah. I can't give him that accolade, <laughs> I'm afraid. So it's Cava for me. Uh, but he would be my dream signing. Uh, I don't think it will happen this window. Could happen in the future, though, because he wants to come to the Premier League and he would be perfect for that right-wing position. Uh they're the sort of the positions, definitely left back, definitely right centre back, and then definitely the two wings. Everywhere else, I think we're fine. Yeah, I think uh, if you're talking left backs, uh, I don't know. You may have, you may be in a, a tough company now with being as competitive as you are in the Premier League because I know Manchester mm-hmm. City are, are still probably looking to move Yao Cancelo. Uh, he came back from loan yes. from Bayern. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if you'll be able to, to pry him from City now that you guys are top four contenders. Um, I think if you were in a maybe mid-table position, you would have an easier conversation with them. Um, but mm. who knows? It, it may be worth a phone call if if, uh, yeah. if a player of that ability uh, is available. Um, but yeah, like I agree. Hernandez as well. He's another left back that, you know, if we want to be pushing further, further forward, he's this, this sort of dream signing as well. Yeah. And if we're talking transfers left backs, we'd be remiss not to mention Ricardo Rodriguez, even though I'm sure he's like 35 at this point, because that guy every mm-hmm. single season would be linked to a Premier League club, it seemed, for a good 10 years running. Um, so shout out, Ricardo, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and as far as it comes down to like the forward play, I think, you know, the interesting part is you, you do have a lot of talent that's in like kind of their prime too. Like I, and we haven't really mm-hmm. talked too much about Isak, but he was a guy that came in and I, I had pretty high hopes for I mean he looked really good for his national team and it was all about you know can he adapt to the Premier League so um, I'm curious do you think that he has the the ability right now to maybe slide into the starting 11 for Newcastle or do you see him more being a bench piece you know given that they may who, who they may bring in in the summer oh no definitely starting 11 100% I mean you don't go to Anfield on your debut and score and should have had a brace and you're not a player that assist against Everton was superb. You'll, if you saw the assist last night, you would know why he needs to start in the eleven. It's a difficult one for Howe because he's got a personal relationship with Wilson and Wilson is getting to the end of his career now. He's 30. Uh, but Isaac is the future. He's quicker. He's got a better engine. So 
Isaac could fit easily on the left side. He can fit up front as well. We could also change the formation to play him as a 10. Mm-hmm. There'll be lots of different options for, for him because he is a he is a talent and he will definitely be starting games. And and remind me, is, is Ryan Frazier still was that a, was, did you guys buy him or was he alone? No, no, we bought him, but he's been banished to the under 21s because of a training ground spat. So oh. Eddie Howe said, no, don't want him anymore. Get him out of the way. Uh, unfortunately, it was something to do with he wasn't we weren't winning games. We were drawn quite a few and he was wondering why he wasn't getting in the team. And apparently in training, he started putting in silly tackles uh, because he was really being okay. upset about not getting in the team. So Eddie Howe said, no, off on your bike. We just can't yeah. get rid of him though because he's on high wages. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, I was gonna say because he he was another one of those players that uh, always seemed to cause an, an issue on the wing. Um, mm-hmm. Was never necessarily the most lethal in terms of scoring goals, but create a lot. It was always again you mentioned too, like one of those guys that would draw defenders off the ball. Um, he's direct. So uh, at Bournemouth, he did score quite a few goals. To be fair, if he played to his strengths, it just hasn't worked out at Newcastle for him. Uh, he was bought before Eddie Howe came in. He was bought under the Ashley era. So they offered him a stupid contract and a stupid length. And that's why we're stuck with him now. But Fraser, would, for me, is bottom to mid-table sort of Premier League standard. He's not where we want to be going. Yeah, and, and just to bring up Tonali again, you mentioned Tonali. And, and Italian players, I'm a big Serie A fan. I, that's the league I follow for, for the most part. And, you know, when they go to the Premier League Italians, they don't necessarily always perform the best, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think of Aquilani from my club about a decade or so ago and, and oh, plenty of others that have gone there. Yeah. He, Scott laughs because he's a Liverpool supporter, but um, plenty of Italians <laughs> have gone there, but I think Tonali has the the skill set, Like you said, I mean, if I were a Milan supporter, I'd be gutted at his sale. That, that's his, you know, childhood favorite club and didn't seem like he wanted to leave, but new ownership brought new ideas. And I, I think Newcastle could have a real, I can't say steal at 80 million euros, but, a real player on their hands, I think. And I think he he will perform very well for them this year. I think that midfield to be very dangerous with Bruno, like you mentioned. I think they're going to look very good, very good in the middle of the park. Oh, massively. And I mean, you still have, still haven't mentioned Sean Longstaff and, and Willick, who can also play in those positions along with Tonali, uh, Joel Linton and Bruno. There's five quality players to fight for free positions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I still think it's a steal. It's £55 million. Pounds, so that's how we look at the transfer. Uh I mean, if we were looking at buying a player of that quality who was maybe Spanish instead or someone like you're looking at 80 million, 90 million. Because of his age, he hasn't quite got to that price bracket yet, but he will. But like Joel Linton, we bought him for 40 million. Eddie Howe's turned him into an 80 million rock in midfield. Uh, and Tonali's just going to, his stock's going to rise and rise. It really is. Future captain for Italy as well. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of years ago, before Zaniolo had the injuries, it was him and Tonali were thought of as the next, uh, they use the word in Italy, mm-hmm. 40 classe, like uh, otherworldly type player, like the generational yeah. type players. And now it seems like Tonali is the one, um, as long mm-hmm. as he stays healthy, that, that's been Zaniolo's issue along with other things. But mm-hmm. he has that talent level. He's been talked about for a while since he was in Serie B with Brescia. And I think he's going to be a good one, like you said, probably a future captain of Italy, uh, given he's only 23 years old at this point. Uh, should be certainly one to watch. You mentioned not many Italian players have made it in the Premier League, which is right, but I'll go back way, way back. Chelsea had Gianfranco Zola and Viali. Mm-hmm. They all made a massive impact on the Premier League, so there's no reason why Tonali can't do that as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing with Italians, not to go too off topic, is they they tend to stay they tend to stay in Serie A because the league 
traditionally has been strong. So they don't have the need to go abroad as much. And um, maybe, maybe the ones that do aren't the ones that should. And, you know, we'll yeah. see how Tonali works out now, but I think just like you mentioned, you guys look at it as 55 million pounds. And I think that just shows the purchasing power of the premier league with these other European leagues, having the, the currency difference and, and just the, the spending power of these clubs. And I guess that brings us to the Saudi takeover and how are things behind the scenes of the club ownership, managing, you know, director, and how's that impacting how the team operates in the transfer season? Because you said, you know, some supporters thought they'd just bring in a whole bunch of different guys, spend a whole lot of money. They have spent on Tonali and some others, but how do you see that working out so far? I think they've played it brilliantly, to be completely honest with you. They've closed all the leaks in the club, so not much information is getting out at all. The information you hear on Twitter and all those social media sites is normally from agents. And a lot of agents use Newcastle as a benchmark to try and drive more money for their player. Uh, I think we've got everyone. I mean, if you go back to the Mike Ashley era, there was nothing there. There was Mike Ashley, a sporting director, Lee Charnley, and then somebody else. Now we've got the likes of Mike Ashley, Darren Eels, who you'll know very well from uh, Atlanta in uh, America. He set that club up and did it brilliantly. It was Atalanta, sorry. Isn't it Atalanta? Uh, if, if it's in the US, it's Atlanta. Yeah, Atalanta is the Italian club. Uh, yeah, Atlanta, so, yeah. yeah. Atlanta, yeah. He was brilliant there. He knew how to market it. You've got Dan Ashworth, who look at Brighton. Brighton have always got players coming off the conveyor belt. Uh, we have now got a structure where our under-21s are being looked after, under-23s have been looked after, under-16s. The women's team now is starting to flourish. Everything is all aligned. All the ducks are in a row. Uh, and yes, Saudi Arabia got all this money, but it's not Newcastle, so we've still got to spend it wisely. We've still got to get the sponsorships in. All that sort of stuff is an 8 out of 10 at the moment. I still think we're being a little bit too comfortable or too scared of the Premier League and UEFA about how they might sanction some of our deals because of where it's coming from. The microscope is on us. Uh, I think they need to be a little bit more braver and say, right, this is market value. I mean, £25 million for our shirt sponsor went from 8 to 25 and everyone raised an eyebrow. But it was a Mike Ashley deal for £8 million for fun at 8. Now we're in the Champions League. And we're only getting 25 million for a front of shirt sponsor when the likes of Liverpool and Man City are all getting 35, 40 million. And we're in the same competition. But yeah, people are complaining because we're getting 25. It's like, oh, yeah, man, give her a break. <laughs> but the owners are fantastic. I've got no problems with them. All the other stuff is political, needs to stay out of football. Fans shouldn't really be asked about all that sort of stuff. And if the UK government's happy to do dealings with Saudi Arabia and invite them over for all these. Uh, government stuff they're all right to me yeah and I, I like how you mentioned the the leaks the leaks have stopped right and i've seen mm. the difference with roma with the freakins taking over they don't say anything and some supporters hate yeah. it they're so quiet uh, on my roma podcast i said a, a, a listener asked what what's with the sadistic ownership they don't say anything i'm like i'd rather mm. than be quiet because the previous owner polota all he did was was run run his mouth and say oh we're never selling ali son we're you know this guy's gonna be a at Roma for a decade, they're sold a month later. So I, I like the the quiet, strong ownership. And, and if that's what Newcastle has now, I think it's all for the better for a club. I agree. I mean, they still talk. They still get amongst the fans. I mean, I've never seen an ownership like it. I mean, like I say, we come from someone who hardly used to go to games, hardly opened his mouth. 
We then got Amanda Stavely and the dad and all them lots and Jamie Rubin. They get amongst the fans and talk to them. That's what we want, fan engagement. But when it comes to transfers, no one really should know what's going on because if they know who you're going for, you've got other clubs that'll start going for yep. them. The price starts to get higher. You've got to try and keep it as quiet as possible. So they're, they're doing it the right way. All right. So before we wrap, let's look ahead to the upcoming season with what we know in terms of, you know, squad and all that. Obviously, we still have a few weeks before the season kicks and the market's open for another about month and a half. But uh, goals for the upcoming season, what do you think the club's shooting for at this point? I mean, the club itself are probably shooting to try and stay in the top four. Uh, I don't think that'll be the end goal. I don't think that'll be like, you know, this has to happen. I think that's what they would like. Uh, I think the goal will be top six because then you're still in a decent European competition. Uh, all depends on, like you mentioned, the transfer window is open until September. So if there's more players come in, that top four then becomes, you know, you, we've got to be fighting for it. Uh, but I'd be happy with top six. Uh, next season, I think it is top five, isn't it? That gets Champions League. So, you know, we might not have to wait too long to be back in it again. Uh we need to strengthen. We need at least two, three more players if we're going to compete on four fronts to get near that top four again. We need at least three more players. If we don't get them, I think top six will be the goal. Yeah, I think you mentioned that those four fronts is, is an important thing, mm -hmm. right? Um, you it see it when clubs that haven't been in Europe in a while have to compete on that extra front, those midweek matches. It, it really tests depth and, and you know, all, all kinds of things for the, mm -hmm. the squad. Look at yeah. West Ham. West Ham really struggled, yeah. didn't they? I mean, they won the competition, amazing, but they were fighting a relegation battle because of it. Yeah, as I say, even Manchester United, like they started getting all those injuries in the second half of the season mm. because they made it pretty far in, in both domestic cups. Um, so it is something that you know you need the the additional players, but you also need those existing players to get that conditioning and, and get used to that going from playing 40, 45 matches a season to potentially 55, 60. It's it's a big jump. Yeah. Oh, it's a massive jump. And Eddie Howe gets the players so physically fit. I think we faltered a little bit near the end of the season because he pushes them so hard all the time. Uh, he has them all on personal training. You know, they've got their own steps to do and take care of. But if you're relying on the same back five all the time to play 55, 60 games, there's going to come a time where the, the body's not going to be able to cope with it. And I know they get paid all this money and all that sort of stuff, but they're not robots at the end of the day. Uh, and you are going to pick up niggles and you're going to have to play through pain barriers. But if you've got the strength and depth, which we don't quite have yet, you can cope with all that. But uh, like you mentioned, we haven't played Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday in a 21 years. So it is going to be very interesting how Eddie Howe adapts, what cup competitions he takes seriously. Uh, and which ones he's going to sacrifice. Yeah, and, and you're right in terms of if you're playing 50, 55 matches, it doesn't matter if you're making 5 million pounds a, a season or 5 pounds mm -hmm. a season, right? You're still a human, and sooner or later the body will will pick up little knocks and, and things like that. So um, you mentioned what the club's probably gunning for. I think you said it in, in your last answer too, but personal expectations for the club next season, um, maybe where do you see them? What would you be happy with in the Champions League in terms of finish and domestic cups and things like that as well? Uh, so definitely top six for the Premier League. I think Spurs are a spent force now, especially if Harry Kane leaves. If he goes, I can't see Spurs threatening the top six. So I think that should be definitely the aim. 
even if Kane stays, it's still got to be the aim, hasn't it, after last season? Uh, cup competitions, I'm not 100% sure yet because I haven't seen, obviously, the draw for the uh, Champions yeah. League is the 31st of August. So it depends who we get in the in our group. I've said I would love the group of death just because we might not be in the Champions League again for a couple of years. So it'd be nice to see the likes of Barcelona, AC Milan and Borussia Dortmund. That's in James's Park. Uh, I think we could shock a few people and we could probably get out of our group. Uh, it's got to be the aim. You've got to you know, give it a go. I think the Carlin Cup will probably sacrifice. You'll see a lot of the second, third string players playing in that. So I can't see us going on that kind of run again. And they might target the FA Cup depending on the Champions League and the league positions. So I'd like to see an FA Cup run this time, top six, and hopefully get out the group stages of the, of the Champions League. But at least, you know, show that we're capable of playing at that level is what I want to see. Yeah, and so much goes into the draw of the Champions League. Like you said, we usually yeah. do a buy or sell. And one of the questions was going to be, do you buy or sell them to get out of the Champions League? Obviously, this is not even knowing who's in the group. Are, what what pot are they in? Do you know if they're like... Oh, we'll be pot? in the fourth one. We'll be in the fourth, fourth one, pot. yeah, because they haven't been there so long, right? In, yeah. They haven't played it in 21 years, so you have points system, don't you? Yep, yeah. so the coefficients. Yeah. yeah, so there's no way we're going to be in pot three or anyone like that. So I've looked at all the pots and I've worked it out. We could get an easy group of like Porto in it and, and I say easy, I mean like yeah. easier. Easier, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we could get an easier group, but we could get the group of death as well, which... Like I say, I would love Barcelona, AC Milan because of the way we took their best player and we've nicked Botman from them. It was immense. Uh, Barcelona because Tino scored a hat-trick against them at St. James's Park and I would love to see something like that again. Uh, and Borussia Dortmund because I want to see what war flags can do alongside the yellow wall. I think the home and away fixture against them could be very special you know, before the game rather than on the pitch, to be fair. Yeah, and I think anybody who's at the top of a, a, a pot in pot one or even pot two and they see their group being drawn and they see you guys sitting there in pot four, that's going to be the one everybody wants to avoid because normally pot four, you get those smaller clubs from Eastern Europe that get through the qualifying stage and things like that. It's very rare you get a big club in pot four uh, or a Premier League club for that matter. So that's going to be, it, unless you get one of those girls like you mentioned where you maybe get the weakest pot two team or weakest pot one team, which isn't always a weak team, but then maybe it's not a group of death, but most likely a, a, a group that Newcastle ends up in has a very high chance of being the, the group of death, like you said. I completely agree. And like I say, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. And I think the good news is, I mean, if I don't know if, you, if you're a better, but that means you'll probably have pretty good odds at least to get out of the group. That'll be a fun little a fun little wager because I, I would still back Newcastle. I think they have, you know, their their top line talent is, is should be competitive with, pretty much everybody except that top tier, maybe like the Bayerns, the Reals, et cetera. Um, but I, I certainly can see them doing it. And, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's six matches. If you can get yourself to that 10, 11 point threshold, that's usually good enough. So it's about finding, you know, three wins and maybe a draw. Um, and, you know, I, I would certainly wouldn't count Newcastle out. I'd back us against anyone at home, even the likes of Real Madrid and all them lot, because they won't be used to coming to us in James's Park on a cold winter's night. Uh, it might shock the system a little bit being yeah. in the north. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, bring any of them on. I think we're ready for them. I think we'll shock a few teams. And remember, we were the, own, we were the very first team to lose their first three games in the group stage and then win the next three and go through. We were the first team to do it. Two teams done that in history. We were the first to do it. 
So we, we, we can shock a few people. Why not? Yeah, and I, I think the atmosphere of St. James's Park will be amazing considering it's been 20 years, great supporters, great stadium, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see them, especially if you do get someone like a Real or Barcelona to come yeah. in. I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I think a lot of the electricity will be outside the ground beforehand to kick off. You'll feel it bubble and everyone excited to see the likes of Vicious Junior and Modric come to St. James's Park. Is Zidane still the manager there? I can't remember. Wait, wait, was, for Madrid. Um, it, it's, is it still Ancelotti till the end of the season? Or is it, I, know, yeah. I know he's doing the Brazil job, but I think it might be after the season, mm-hmm. right? But just having Real Madrid come to St. James's Park will just be special. The fans will be excited. You know, we, we get really up for these big games. Uh, it sounds disrespectful to some of the lower league teams, but you you don't have that extra buzz. Like when Man City mm-hmm. came to St. James's Park last season in that free free draw, we were all like, this is it. You know, this is the game to show what we're capable of. And we went out and put on that kind of performance and the players feed off it. And we just get excited by big games because it's where we want to be. Yeah, for sure. So the next buy or sell, would you uh, pick Newcastle to finish above either Arsenal or Liverpool by season's end? It's a tough one. Uh, I probably wouldn't because Arsenal have improved. They finished second. They were brilliant. They schooled us at St. James's Park after we after the season before when we beat them 2-0. We comfortably beat them. They came last season still in the pursuit of winning the league and they absolutely schooled us on our own ground. Uh, they absolutely ripped us apart at the Emirates, but we defended so well to get a nil-nil draw. I, I don't think we're at their level quite yet. Uh, Liverpool have had a really bad season. They've just sold quite a lot of their players, but they're starting to bring in some quality. McAllister or McAllister uh, is a superb player. I wanted us to sign him from Brighton. Uh so Arsenal, no, but Liverpool could be a potential yes because it all depends on who else they buy. But at the moment, I wouldn't be afraid of Liverpool. I'll Nunes is going to have a season, though. I can tell you that now because there's no way you spend that kind of money on a player. He's obviously taken his time to settle in the Premier League. He obviously needed that first season, but he will be a much better striker next season. But I'm still not frightened by Liverpool yet. Yeah, I'll play devil's advocate about why you, you could find yourself ahead of Arsenal. Um we talk about where Newcastle are in, in Champions League and, and their probability of getting out mm-hmm. of the knockout rounds. If Arsenal make a deep run, you know, this is really their first season where they'll have a, a, a real run at Champions League. So if they're playing games into March or maybe even April and Newcastle mm-hmm. or not, um, then there's definitely that that fatigue factor that starts to contribute. Um, so a fresher Newcastle in the second half of the season versus a, um, you know, a, a leggy Arsenal, you could see them kind of switching places. Yeah, I do agree with you. I just think if they get the squad depth, then they'll be all right. But they don't quite have that yet. So, yeah, if we don't get through the groups, there's no reason why we could push them. I always said this. I said this to a few guys ago. I said I'd rather us progress slowly. Like, say, last season finished top seven, do a Thursday night, and then not qualify for Europe and then buy big and then try and win the league with no distractions. That's how I would have liked us to have done it. But we've just gone so far up so quickly. That's <laughs> never going to happen now. Yeah, yeah. we skipped far too many steps for me. It would have been consolidation, finish outside the top seven, and then just 
blast the squad and try and win the league with no distractions of Europe while all the other teams are trying to do Champions League and all I mean really you went from relegation battle to Champions League in about 18 months it's about the turnaround (laughs) absolutely mental it's it's just like I said just like Leicester did it's crazy and I hope we've learned from Leicester because we've seen what's happened to them they got relegated this season after they won the league they didn't really strengthen in the right areas as long as and I'm sure we have our club have got their head on they won't allow that to happen. It's going to be an interesting yeah. season. For sure. Um, Nick Pope, your, your keeper, second in the Premier League, 14 clean sheets last season to David De Gea's 17. Do you buy him to win uh, the Golden Gloves next season? Yes, because De Gea's not a Man United anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and last, buy or sell Callum Wilson and Alexander Isak to combine for 30-plus goals next season. They combined for uh, 28 last season in the league. Easy. Definitely 100% yes. Now, I'll tell you why is because Eddie Howe has now learned how to manage Callum Wilson. I reckon he'll play more games than he's ever played before next season because you'll learn when to rest them and when not to rest them. Not everything's going to be on his shoulders anymore with Isaac being there and also Gordon. So I can see them two easily scoring 30 to 35 goals next season. I love the confidence we got. We got Nick Pope winning the uh, gold glove, and who knows, maybe one of those two wins a, a golden boot. I don't think we'll go that far because the Haaland scored how many goals last season? I can't yeah. see. Uh, combined, they might get the same amount of goals that he scored, uh, but definitely not as a single person. That's, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. As much as I'd like to say, yes, Haaland's a different level, isn't he? Yeah, that's fair. All right. So I think this is where we'll wrap. I mean, this was a great conversation. So much great info on Newcastle. But so tell everybody where to find you, where to find your podcast and, and everything else Newcastle as they get into the season. Yeah. So it's uh, NUFC through Black and White Eyes on YouTube. Uh, we, we literally concentrate on Newcastle content. But I am starting to get into a non-league team called Newcastle Benfield as well. And we're a really good little run club. So we do a lot of stuff for them. Uh, Twitter, Baza0808 if you want to stupidly follow me on there for all the rubbish that I put on there. (laughs) All right. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And keep up with our State of the Club series. We'll have some more Premier League clubs coming up, some more Serie A before the season kicks off. And uh, we'll catch you guys next episode. Thanks, everybody.